I have as my guest today Jimmy Fulham, a taxi driver from Dublin, and Brendan McManus, an Irish Jesuit and author. And Jimmy is now an author because he has co-authored with Brendan a book called Brothers in Arms, and it is their story of walking the Ignatian Camino. We'll hear more about that in a moment. Brendan, quick word on the Ignatian Camino. What length is it and what is it about briefly? Yeah, the Ignatian Camino is about 700 kilometres. It actually runs opposite the main French Camino, which most people would know. So it runs from the Basque Country, which is up there around the border with France. And it runs across the Barcelona. So it's running east across the country. The Camino de Santiago runs west. You know, at one point the routes intersect, which is really important. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it's a famous route for Jesuits. As a novice, we had walked that route with no money. I remember asking for food and accommodation. And that had been an amazing experience for me. So I've done it maybe once or twice since then. Very sparse route, though not well developed, not a lot of accommodation, challenging route, a lot of difficult walking. And of course, there was a big heat wave last summer, so that really made it difficult. And it marks some of the places that Ignatian travelled to, isn't that right, in significant moments in his life? That's right. It covers all the main Ignatian points of the early part of Ignatius's conversion. So it covers Loyola, the castle Loyola, where he was brought up, where he convalesced when he was injured. It also covers Aransa Zoo, which is a Marian shrine in the mountains, where he went and made a vow of chastity. It covers uh, Manresa, which is the big place where he stayed in the cave, wrote the spiritual exercises. Montserrat, which is a beautiful hilltop Benedictine monastery, which is where he went. He did a vigil of arms. He stayed up all night. He gave over his sword and his dad to Our Lady made this kind of promise a big change of his life so it covers all these main Ignatian sites a lot of people would recognise Jimmy what are you doing as a taxi driver from Dublin doing this Camino because I know you'd done the Camino to Santiago which a lot of people would have done but how did you get involved in this one for St Ignatius I happened to be on my first Camino to Santiago in 2018 the Camino Frances and about 250 kilometres into the Camino Frances you cross the Camino Ignatius it was there that I met a very strange pilgrim we sat for several hours over coffee I never heard of St Ignatius before and he enlightened me on the whole thing and I was intrigued came home I wanted to do this walk and I done a lot of research into it I was getting nowhere and my wife said to me one day oh no this is annoying you if you want to know about the Ignatian way why not go to the Jesuits he founded the Jesuits and I'm sure they'll tell you more. With that, I did get in contact with the Jesuits. They put me in touch with Brendan. He rang me after six weeks. Funny, I was nearly given up, but God came to the rescue again. Brendan rang me. Within a couple of days, we spoke in Gardner Street in Downton Belfast. We organised to go. Now, you were attracted to Ignatius when your man mentioned him on the Camino de Santiago, which is St. James, but not St. Ignatius. You were attracted to him because he was... Well, I'm an ex-soldier. I served in the Irish Army for six years. I enjoyed every bit of it. Being an ex-soldier intrigued me, delving into the story about him and his soldier's career and how he grew up, how he got injured at the Battle of Papalona in 1521 and how he got spiritual awakening in 1522. I also got this spiritual awakening 10 years ago when I decided to stop drinking. I'm 10 years sober now, thank God. That's how I was intrigued by him. Tell me a wee bit about that spiritual awakening that you got then. You were drinking a lot, were you? In the book that says control of your life, you were in a bad way. Yeah, I've done a lot of that damage to myself over the years and promising to stop. I love my kids. I got my kids everything, got my wife everything, but the damage was done to me and it kind of had a mad ripple effect through the family. And for years and years, my wife has asked me to stop. God knows how she stayed with me. One day I walked into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and what I seen 
I'll always hold in my heart and in my head a vision of the Sacred Heart because I'll have to tell you now, any time I did look in the mirror prior to this, I seen bad. So this was good. And I get down on my knees and I ask God to pray for me and help me to stop. And I did. And I'm sober ever since. Went to AA and I still go to AA and it's helped me immensely. The day I stopped, that's exactly what happened. So you had a lot in common with St Ignatius and I think you were to get a lot more in common as you went on the route getting to know that saint more. We'll talk about that. So the two of you decide you're going to do this Ignatian pilgrimage. You're different people, like for sure. I know Brendan McMahon has come back quite some time and Brendan, you would be pretty high on the introvert scale. Would I be right? That's right. And obviously my life is very different to Jimmy as a taxi driver. So my life is doing retreats, spiritual direction, helping people to pray and being contemplative. One of the funny things is the difference that was between us. I remember the first day when we were walking out of Lagrano, so Jimmy was talking, he's just got a gift for talking, obviously. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I can stick this. You know? <laughs> God love me and much as I... I'm very fond of Jimmy, obviously, but I thought this is going to be a killer for me as an introvert and needing my own space and loving to walk alone. Within about half an hour, I said to him, look, Jimmy, the only way this is going to work, we're going to have to walk alone. So I'm going to walk up here and we'll meet. And it worked a treat ever since we did that. It worked perfectly. You know, I got my space and we'd meet up. We'd have something to talk about. We had a lot of fun with it. We got on brilliant, obviously, and it's it's been such a pleasure to walk with Jimmy and have this experience with him. But that day must have been hard to say, because these are the things you learn along the Camino. Hard to say, but he didn't give you much time either, did he, Jimmy? Half an hour? No, and you have to remember too, Pat, that I hadn't seen Brendan in the flesh for three years with COVID and everything else. So most of our stuff was done on WhatsApp and emails and, and telephone calls and even to organise the trip was done that way. So you can imagine not seeing a guy for three years and the first day you meet him you want to tell him everything about what happened over the last three years and how's it going buddy and blah 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 and, and I was forgetting I was on the Camino for that ten minutes. Absolutely glad that Brendan put a halt to it when he did because God help him you probably would have needed here tonight by the time we got to Manresa. Thank God he put a halt to it when he did and it was great for both of us because I do actually like walking on my own. But it was just the way it happened. We hadn't seen each other and things just slipped. So it was great. And the way we walked was absolutely fabulous because even Brendan had walked ahead of me and he'd come across maybe an Ignatian site or something like that. So he'd pray down there and whatever and he'd stay there till I got there and he'd explain the whole thing to me. It was just fascinating. It was intriguing. It was. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Well, now we're going to hear more about some of the stories, but just in terms of the book, Brendan, things like that, like making decisions like that. The book is really about the learnings that you and Jimmy got working together, walking together, suffering together and enjoying things together. But what's important, I think, in the book is that after every short story of something that happened, you then have a little bit of wisdom from what is learned and really how it ties into some of the wisdom of St. Ignatius, who was very good on making good decisions. That's it, exactly. One of the key Ignatian insights or tools is to think about reflection and especially reflection on what's coming up within me you know how is this affecting me what's happening and then what should I do how you translate that into action so in some ways that example about walking separately was a classic example so I'm walking along with Jimmy and we're talking away and I'm thinking this is I'm not enjoying this you know there's something going on I need to listen to inside myself and I'm thinking okay I need to tell him now that because there's no point in me suffering like this I'm going to tell him I need a bit of my own space 
And then, of course, it all works out really well when you follow that inner instinct, that inner voice. And that's I think that's God speaking to me in that particular case. And it's something that is worth listening to. And actually, everybody benefits. One of the things we learned was that it actually ended up being a retreat together. We didn't set out to do this, but it actually ended up being a retreat. So we're doing a retreat together. And in Ignatian language, it's called an Annotation 18 retreat, which is one adapted specifically for the circumstances. So one specifically for Jimmy. He's been through the AA program and he has a huge amount of wisdom and prayer under his belt. But this is like the next step, you know, the Ignatian step, the Ignatian train, Ignatian reflection looking back and experience and trying to listen to where God is in different situations. And this thing called discernment, which means trying to figure out where God is in different situations, where God is calling me and especially what I need to do. Remember that thing about translating it into action, concrete action in the world. That's what makes God present. That's what makes for good decisions and decisions where everybody wins, you know, everybody gets something out of it and that God is trying to steer and direct us, and you can listen to what God is saying within us. Brendan mentioned a word there with the sermon. You know, going through an AA program, when you walk into an AA room, nowadays you see on the walls or on the table, think, 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 and think again. This reminded me of my third step in AA, which where I handed myself over to God, and I do God's will and nobody else's will. And God's will was the best. The sermon and the Ignatian exercises that Brendan taught me on the way reminded me of a 12-step program. Now, there's another story to that. I'm taught to think, think, think again, to, you know, reflect on my day at the end of the night through AA. And this was all Jesuit priest was teaching me as we walked and every night. And I did say to him, Brendan, are you sure there's no connection between the AA program and the Jesuit Ignatian principles and stuff? And he'd say, he just laughed. He never told me. And to me, this was an enhanced third step of AA. Of course, there is a really strong connection between the AA programme and the Jesuits. So Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, had a Jesuit companion, Edward Dowling, who was helping him with the programme, who was putting in a lot of the Ignatian things. So you can see it really clearly. I think that's what Jimmy is seeing, the Ignatian framework that's there in the AA programme. And then that's what we were working on. We were just simply working further on that. And again, Jimmy was so open to that. And we were having like a personalised discussion about it. So we would hit these issues as we go along. Like what issues? Something would come up, like, for example, about sin. You know, what is sin? How should we understand that? So I would explain it to him directly. And then I would actually give him exercises from this spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius. I would say, okay, I want you to reflect on this particular piece of scripture you know, the story about the prodigal son, for example, reflect on that, the love of God you see coming through that. And let's help you with some of the things that you're caught on. Obviously, sometimes people get caught up in things. Sometimes people have a very strong sense of guilt, overwhelming, negative sort of guilt. And let's free you up from that. Let's live in God's love and let's help you to be a better person. I think that's what Jimmy benefited from in that. And Jimmy, the 12 steps spirituality, we know that God is the God of your understanding, so it doesn't despise any particular religion or any particular Christianity. So how did you feel about Brendan coming from a particularly Christian dimension? I mean, was that difficult for you? How did you feel? Well, to be honest with you, I was flabbergasted hearing the Ignatian exercises and principles and the things that Brendan was teaching me. And the connection was all there. And I do know that AA is a God of your choice. And it couldn't work any other way. Certainly for me, there was a massive connection in this. And it was all good. 
it was all enhanced. And of course, it was coming from experience, your own experience. Reading in the book, I mean, you had some tough times, Jimmy. Tell people what it was like, some of the walks and what you went into and didn't give up. Yeah, if I may say, like Brennan had got me in 2020. He'd got me the Ignatian autobiography from Rome. I must have read it about 70 or 80 times. I wanted to know about this man. It's like everything else. If I want to sing a song, sing the song with passion. And to sing the song with passion, you've got to know the story about it. So to do a Camino or do the Ignatian Way with passion, I needed to know about this man and what he did. Now, I know we founded the Jesuits, but I wanted to know more about him and the life that he led. It was just fascinating to me. He walked everywhere. Tell me about what it was like walking that Camino. Did you go to hospital at one stage? Am I right? Tell us about that and what it was like on a daily basis. Going into Calahorra one day, when Brendan had left me to come back for the funeral, it was four days in after him leaving me and I was walking into Calahorra. I hadn't seen another human being from the time I had left the previous location. But I could see Calahorra in the distance. There was no water. It was 46 degrees. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was carrying 9 to 10 kg on my back and I was drained. I just kept walking towards Calahorra. It was an old dirt road. I hadn't seen anybody. And I walked around the corner. I see the small town ahead of me and I was saying, I'll get there, I'll get there. And to be honest, I was afraid to stop in case I'd see us. And I knew if I'd stop, I'd die. And to my amazement, how God works... And how I knew this was working for me, it turned my head and a police car came behind me. On a road that you wouldn't see a motorbike or a scrambling bike, if you could imagine it, a dust road. And to me they were sent and there was three of them in the police car. And the minute they see me, they stopped the car, they jumped out. Matter of fact, I wasn't going to let them go by, they jumped out in front of them. (laughs) This was another thing why I don't believe anymore since I did the Ignatian Way. I don't believe in coincidence. I call them God incidents, honestly. They wanted to take me to the hospital. Both hands were swollen up fairly badly. Got two bites, a bite on each hand. I was definitely gone. And they told me later on, and anyhow, that that was the poison going through me as well, whatever bit me. But the police brought me, or wanted to bring me to the hospital, said, no, just get me somewhere where I can get water and get me to me dig. I hadn't even booked. I'll never forget it. It was called the, the San Francisco Hostel. And I just looked at it before I left the other location that morning, so I'll head for there. There must be a bed there. And I, I couldn't forget that name, San Francisco. When the police asked me where you, I just said San Francisco, and they took me there. I'll never forget the policeman running into the hostel and running out with the lady with the apron on her and grabbing me bag and the trade and bringing me in and giving me a lovely room and looking after me so well. And then that night, the owner came back. The owner of the place came back. I never met him before. There was only the cleaning lady there. There was nobody else staying in the hostel. I was the only one. He said, um, how's your hands? And they were still swollen badly. But the dehydration is gone. And I knew that I wasn't from that. So they brought me to a small hospital. When I got to the hospital, to my amazement, the three policemen turned up again. The two policemen and the policewoman, they turned up again and checked me passport and they said I had to check because of what happened to me. They gave me a tetanus injection and an anti-hiss and they advised me not to walk the next day. And to be honest with you, I did want to walk the next day. I wanted to get to Manresa by any cost and I've had to crawl there on my hands and knees. I was getting there. They advised me, they said, no, look, you're going to have to take a day off tomorrow. Just to please them, I said, OK, because they were so good to me. And did you take the day off? I did. And you see, Brendan, this is something I know you're big about in the book, that there's a good example of, I'm going to do this. Talk through what learning you and Jimmy might have had from that, because I know from your other book, you've had experiences of this. That's right. One of the big things I always say is that the Camino teaches, and obviously 
God teaches us through these really difficult experiences. That's a classic, really serious health issue. Dehydration, you know, insect bites, and it's all accumulating. And then trying to do the right thing. You can see the discernment thing. What should I do now? How should I resolve this? So taking help is one of the big things, especially from people, professionals, you know, police, medicals, etc. So getting the help and then being able to turn it around. And the amazing thing is that he survived that, you know, <laughs> and that he was able to keep walking. I mean, I was actually away at a funeral at home, like he was saying, at this stage. So he was on his own. He had no Spanish, really huge pressure, but enormous learning. If you're able to learn from it, humility, take advice, take help. Even the hostel owner taking him in, people looking after him. He was exceptionally lucky, very providential, the whole thing. He keeps on the road, you see that? He keeps walking and his determination comes through there. You know, he really wants to get there. And that was to prove significant. I mean, it was a huge heat wave, like he was saying at that point in time. It was also the Ignatian anniversary year. This is really significant. The 500 years St. Ignatius did the walk. So we were literally walking in Ignatius's footsteps. But also we were trying to replicate Ignatius's experience. And Ignatius, if he's anything, he learns from experience. And he reflects on everything. This is a classic for Jimmy. Reflecting on what happens. Learning the lessons. But moving on. And moving on with more humility. I think one of the things we learned from that is don't walk in the afternoon. Don't walk in the heat. So we used to get up really early walk early finish early which is much wiser and avoid a lot of the heat if you can i mean that's so important isn't it and also the humility to say i don't have to be superman and go tomorrow like what you wanted to do it's not about your ego <laughs> jimmy you're laughing there but <laughs> everybody has a bit of ego in them it doesn't matter who they are and probably a little bit more than others and you know i worked very very hard on trying to get rid of it my whole thing was to get to manresa i want to follow this man and I wasn't going to let anything stop me. The discernment that I've been taught before that of Brennan in a couple of days that we walked together, even when we spoke on the phone before we left to do this Camino, stood to me there. That was one incident where it stood to me. Because there's nothing sure I would have got up the next morning and walked. Whether they told me to not to or not, I was gone. I had a good think about that overnight. And I said, well, let's whittle this down and let's think, think, think and think again. The sermon. And I got the answer. By the time I woke up the next morning, mm. I walked down to the kitchen and I said to the lady, it was only me and her in the place, and she said to me, are you leaving today? And I said, no, I had to go think about this and um, I'm going to stay another day if that's okay. Do you have a bed? She said, we have a bed. Look, you're the only, you're the only person <laughs> here, you know. <laughs> so that stood to me you as got well. got the message. So I, I went off that day and I got mass and I had a look around the place and I had a lovely day and said a couple of prayers. I was right beside the cathedral, so it was, it was nice. Yeah. Good to rest. Now, it was a tough enough walk for the both of you. There were hills, there was heat. There were challenges, but you did it. More learnings, high points, low points. I think the other classic, the other low point we had was, this is about two weeks later probably, where uh, we were staying in this kind of a truck stop in the middle of nowhere called Bella Vista. And Jimmy wasn't well that morning. I think in some ways he'd bust himself on the mountains early on in this walk. He was struggling a bit towards the end. He couldn't walk that morning. So we were trying to get out of this town to get on towards Montserrat. I looked up, there's a bus coming the only bus of the day so I thought this is it we're out of here you know if you have to take a bus you take a bus that's the, the sermon so whenever the bus pulls up I get to go on the bus and the driver says no no he says you can't get on I was taken aback you know I thought this is a scheduled bus so we should be able to get on but for some reason he doesn't let us on that was a low point for me because I think Jimmy was struggling at that stage the heat was starting to build we're stuck in this truck stop 
and we're thinking, how are we going to get out of here? You know, and I was desperately trying to get somebody to take us. And I, I had the one of the waiters made out a sign in Spanish, and I was going around showing the sign to drivers and truck drivers, and nothing was working. And we're there one hour, two hours, thinking, this is a disaster. What are we going to do? You know, how are we going to get out of here? And then. You know, the way things work, I saw this minibus full of these sisters with the full habits on. I saw them pulling in and I thought, this is my moment, you know. And I thought, I'm going to have to play the Jesuit card. I asked them <laughs> and they gave us a lift, which is amazing. A minibus full was, of nuns, Jimmy. The, the, this was very funny. I, I thought this was, it was devastating, but it was funny. <laughs> Because when we looked around, I actually said to Brennan, I don't know whether he remembers or not, I said to him, there's five women that you may know and you might be able to relate to. <laughs> and I think God is after sending them to us. Look at them, they're in full habit. They have all the gear on. Go and negotiate. Do something, Brennan. Go in after them quick and before they get comfortable in there. And oh, Brennan is in the, in the little cafe with them when they're talking. And... Obviously, they couldn't speak English. They were talking Spanish. And I went in and I seen a smile on Brendan's face and he just gave me the thumbs up. And I went over to the woman and I gave her a big hug. I had none. And it was the way it happened. Again, that's not a coincidence. And believe it or not, they drove 300 kilometres to get to that place. They were on the road all morning and all night. They were having breakfast. They were going to have their breakfast there, yeah. She told me, she said... We'll give you a lift. We're just going to have our breakfast now. She says, well, half an hour, we'll come out and get you. So that was it. They stopped for breakfast in this one place where we happened to be. So. And where did they take you to? And here's the other thing. They said, we're going to Montserrat, which is exactly the place we were going to. So like saved us a whole two days of walking, brought us right to the place we were going. And we're in the minibus the whole way with the nuns. They had to stop to pick up another younger nun along the way. We went to their, their residence in Igualada, this other town. And this amazing residence, like a Gaudi-style architecture, beautiful building, you know. So we had our picture taken outside the, the Gaudi building. But the funniest thing for me, I think, was that when we were in the minibus, and Jimmy, who's a great singer here, he decides he's going to sing a song for them, you see. Jimmy starts singing Let It Be, you know, the Beatles, Mother, the classic yeah. Beatles, yeah. Which is, obviously, there's a kind of a Catholic take on that, that this is Mother Mary, you know, the Virgin Mary. So anyway, Jimmy's singing the song, he finishes and I said, do you like the song? Isn't that an amazing song? And they say, who is that? Who's the Beatles? You know, they'd never heard of the Beatles or Let It Be or anything. The other fascinating thing about that was, coming back to the minibus, there was eight seats. They were going to pick up another nun who wasn't on the bus at the time. And there was me and Brendan, which made a... This was made for us. Somebody made this for us. And as well as singing the song... I mean, when I sang the song, I was looking around at the three younger nuns in the back and I could see the heads bopping, you know, to the song. Reverend Mother, the one would have to go, you know, they'd stop and, and as if they were concentrating on the road or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't letting away any trade secrets. But when we got to, to the place where we were picking up the other nun, it was a hospital for old people and the nuns ran it. And to my amazement, this coincidence thing, if you want to know the Reverend Mother's name that was sitting in the front of the bus, her name was Sister Montserrat. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. Music was also a big thing for you, because, Brendan, I know you play the guitar, Jimmy, you play the guitar and sing, so t talk to me about music on the road. Yeah, so it's just one of those things. I think when you're on the Camino, your music comes to you. I was in a bar one morning. I used to walk early before Jimmy, and we'd, we'd stop and get coffee along the way. But as I come in, there's a U2 song playing on the video in the bar. And I thought, that's amazing. And it was almost every single day. It was another day where 
Jimmy was in a cafeteria and on the radio comes the chorus, the song called Radio. I thought it's extraordinary and almost every day we like we had a song. So the book has a, a playlist and every chapter has a song which meant something to us. So obviously we have Let It Be, which relates to the sisters, that great story. And every song tells a story. And obviously the name of the book is a dire straight song, Brothers in Arms. So I think that captures a lot of what we were talking about. It has like the brothers, it has the kind of military thing to it. That's the St. Ignatius thing. And it has that friendship thing. I think that's a big thing for us. We became friends on this journey to do everything together. We were find the way together, suffer through the heat, make decisions, find places to stay, which was really difficult. There was so little there. At one stage we had to take a taxi for a big chunk of it. There was just nowhere, nowhere to stay. And we were in this desert, huge desert, the Montenegro's desert which is the driest and hottest part of Spain. And remember, there was a heat wave, and we were right at the centre of the heat wave. On the, There's a heat map they showed on TV. We were in the black part, which is the hottest place. And Jimmy, you said this Camino is not like the pampering <laughs> that you get on the Santiago Camino. There's no silk slippers on this one at no time. This one's tough. It's not as well known, so there's not even water stops. That's why you couldn't get water. No, there's no water. When Brendan left me and I started walking, Brendan had set me up with a tracker on my phone, which was great help. And I was afraid to lose it off my phone because I would have been lost. I'm not very technical and I don't speak Spanish, but I can speak a small bit of Spanish. I can say yes and no and I can ask for my dinner and that's about the size of it. When I was walking on the trail, you would come to a part of the trail where the tracker would be sending you in, say, turn right. And you'd say to yourself, I couldn't be through there, so that's overgrown. But then I was forgetting that not a lot of people have walked this, and it wasn't there. Although you'd say, it couldn't be. And you'd walk up the road and say, well, no, it's right, I'm going back. When you'd walk through maybe a lot of bush, you'd, you'd see the trail on the other side of it. So, yeah, there was that challenging part, and then the heat as well. You know, I had a couple of hairy moments with people. and Tell me what's that. The first day Brandon left, when he went home for the funeral that morning, I remember him giving me a big hug, half five, six o'clock in the morning. We had a cup of tea together. Be quite honest with you, I had a lump in my throat. And again, this is where the discernment can come in. Should I really be doing this, or should I go home with him? Or should I call it a day? Or should I really go on on my own? Because um, you'd already done quite a significant part of that Camino before Brendan arrived, didn't you? I did, yeah. I never thought of that end of it. And I wasn't feeling the physical effects then. I was feeling good, I was feeling fresh, but the heat was starting to get to me. I imagined to myself I could get over that. When I left him that morning, he gave me a hug and he said, I'll be back to you, don't worry. And I walked away from there. To be truthful, I said to myself, if you have any sense you want, you know. And I kept walking and the tears was in my eyes. I had a cry. I didn't let him see me crying. I cried halfway down the trail. And although I'm, I'm telling Father Brendan, go home, it's the right thing you're doing. 25% of that was, maybe he might turn around the morning and say he's not going home, you know. <laughs> I'm not being honest. But I thought it was the right thing for him to do. I'm out there. Ignatius did this on his own. I was going to have a go as Jimmy, you know. I remember walking about 15 kilometres that day. And I got into a first little village. And there was all these locals sitting outside the cafe. They looked a bit dodged now, you know. Maybe it was me just thinking that they were different people. But they were your average traditional Spanish person with the earrings and the long hair and all that. I said, I wonder will I go in because there's not another stop for another five kilometres when I finish and I need water and I need to get something to eat. And anyhow, I said, oh God, I have to have a go at this. And I walked over to the place and there was a table beside them and I'll never forget it. I said, I'm going to have to let these fellas think that I'm a bit macho or something like that and I picked up the bag and I thrown it on the chair outside the place and 
they all turned around and it was like something of a Clint Eastwood movie. They all turned around and they were looking at me and next they had a little pow out themselves and I'm letting on to fidget around and it seemed like the head fella, he, he turned around and said, Are you English? No, I said in a very, very, very aggressive accent, no, I'm Irish, why, what about it? And to my amazement, the whole lot of them stood up and came over and started hugging me and, you know, oh, you sing, you're Irish, you sing, and all. I was saying, listen, I just want to get some water and something to eat, I'm not singing today. And we were having a joke and a laugh and broken Spanish and broken English back to them. I remember the woman coming out with the big earrings and the long dress and she brought me out water and I ordered a sandwich. And to my amazement, I went to pay for the stuff and the guy stood up, he said, I own this place, that's free. But I have to tell you, honestly, when I left there, I still was looking back to see was I being tailed or whatever, being an, <laughs> being an ex-soldier, you know. This is like deliverance territory you're yeah, talking Yeah, but look, no, it wasn't. That was the bad part of yeah. me saying that. But still, the next piece was um, my lowest, my lowest point on the whole Camino. It was about two days before Brendan came back to me. I arrived in Zaragoza and there was only one way I was Zaragoza the next morning was by bus. We couldn't walk over. They were digging up the trail on the far side of it. It was 46 degrees. I checked the chemist shop beside where I was staying. 46 degrees. I head for the bus station at 9 o'clock in the morning. And the bus wasn't until 5 that evening. What am I going to do here? I can't go back into Zaragoza. It was too crowded. It was hot. It was murky. Sweat was pumping out of me. I sat down. I checked my phone to see how much was in my bank account. And my bank account had been drained <gasps> overnight. No. Oh my God, you know, when you talk about desolation, okay, this is a perfect example. A recovering alcoholic sitting in a massive big bus station combined with a train station and every second premises is a bar. Oh, I've got obsessions since I stopped drinking, mild ones, and I was well able to handle them with the tools I had in my head from AA. But I've never, ever, ever got an obsession like this. I went to pick up my bag and check to see where my glasses were. I had no glasses. My bank account had been emptied. I had the phone. I started ringing the AIB bank back home, asking them where the money was. I said, some guy last night booked a holiday in Italy on your card. I said, it's gone. Where is he staying? He said, he's staying in a lovely villa, he said, down in the south of Italy, him and his girlfriend. Wow, I said, that's really nice, isn't it? I'm stuck here in the train station and whatever, in the heat, and doing a holy pilgrimage. And I started to talk to myself even. I was getting delirious. Fraud started coming out of my mouth. And I kept looking over at the bar. Honestly, I kept looking at the bar. I had a bit of cash and I had another card back home that my wife could have easily transferred into the AIB one for me. And then I said, well, if she does that, then maybe your man might decide to go on another holiday with the rest of my money. So everything was going through my head and it was then that I just sat back and I said, no, God, Jimmy, just relax yourself. Think, think, think. Remember the sermon. Remember when we talked about desolation to Brendan. And what comes after desolation is consolation. And let's get a bit of that into us. And I only had said that to myself. I picked up the bag and I remember that I had been at this little shop beside the service counter in the train station. And I went up to the receptionist and I said, the best Spanish I could do. And I said, did anybody leave a pair of glasses? And I was like the guy off news for the deaf doing it, you know. And she said, she picked up the glasses and she said. So you got your glasses back. Right. Now we're going places. Ringing home and ringing Brandon and ringing the bank and the whole shebang. My son gets to hear about what's it happening to me. And he rang me and he said, what's wrong, Dad? And I said, somebody, I won't tell you what I called them, but somebody had stolen my money out of my bag. I said, and it's not bad enough, 46 degrees heat, and I'm stuck in a train station here for another six hours. What am I going to do? 
He said, Dad, I booked a holiday last night in Italy. And I said, oh, you did? He said, you remember the Camino that we did two years ago? You gave me the number of your card and all that. Well, obviously, he said, I must have booked it with the wrong card. <laughs> but again, this is not coincidence. This was something... I was being prodded here. And the good part of it was that the prod wasn't working. It was prodding me. It wasn't working. What was happening was the more consolation was coming in, that God was there. Right? He's had to tell me, so the money is safe. We have the glasses. Nothing to worry about, Jimmy. Everything is all right. Didn't it work out? And enjoy the rest of the day, which you were dreading before you had the big downfall that you thought you had. Yeah, and again, we're all, um, these were all temptations and these were things. Like and you that. didn't drink. Your own self was tested. Well, to be honest with you, what I went off and did was I went off and bought a bag of sweets, said I'll hold down for the bus. And I did get the bus and I wouldn't even give the man beside me a sweet on the bus. I was so wrapped up in myself. I'm at the doing great day. You know, that was a great day, you know, yeah. consolation. Desolation force coming into you, and they have to beat that. Yeah. What a learning. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so in the book, we make a lot of this, actually, and Jimmy's dead right. That was desolation that he was caught up in. So I actually met him two days later when I arrived back from the funeral, and I caught up with him. I was a day behind him at this stage, and I set off myself from Zaragoza, and I walked a day and I came across this parish and this priest, and I celebrated Mass with him, and then the priest gave me a lift up to where Jimmy was, like about 30 kilometres. So the next thing I come into the village and Jimmy's outside the hostel with the arms open waiting for me. You know, it was this amazing reconciliation or this moment of coming back together. It was a really lovely moment. And then the priest brought us out for lunch. This guy, Jose, really exceptional priest. We have a bit of a profile of him in the book. But during that conversation at lunch is when we started to talk about what had happened to Jimmy. And he told us the story. And I could see the priest, Jose, was deliberately helping Jimmy to work his way out of that desolation he'd been in. As a Jesuit, obviously, he recognised it. And we talked about it afterwards. But that whole process of working himself back into the light. And a lot of it was in his head, obviously. A lot of this thing, I mean, it's so understandable. And the heat and the exhaustion and you get sidetracked. But the way he got himself back on track and the way he kind of unthreaded that whole big issue. And that he didn't drink. Like, I think that's amazing. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, when you talk about a low, this was lower than a low. And actually, when Brandon was meet me two days later, and he did drive into that town with the priest. I got down on my hands and knees. It was like manna from heaven. I never stopped singing from the time I met him, and I started crying, and I gave him a big hug. And we went off, and we had lunch, and we sang a few songs that night for the local people in the bar. And it was really it worked out great. But goes to show you, talking about getting back on track, there was thoughts in my head, you know, and even before Brandon came to me, can I stick more of this? I did sit down and I did the sermon every night and I did say to myself, well, we got over that bit and you got over that bit. There was no alcohol involved, which is the main thing. And the other is just material stuff. The old boy had come back in again and said, you lost your money and all that. You nearly did say, no, 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 no. God looked after me. Consolation came to the rescue, which was fabulous. I went from quickly to a complete upper. I was fine. And I think that thing of you reflected every night on the day, it's very Ignatian, it's very 12-step as well. Brendan, yourself, you obviously helped Jimmy. He's very clear about that. What did you learn from Jimmy? I think I learned a lot about Jimmy's very straightforward and he just says whatever it is. I think that's what I learned from him most, just being honest, you know, and, and saying the thing out and resolving stuff quickly. I find that was really helpful. 
I mean, you're honest about saying, oh, I can't go with you, you know, unless we separate and then talk later. But Jimmy is really good about being honest about what he feels, things that maybe some of us might cover up. The lads there, like you were describing those guys, like you were straight up about how you felt about them, what your prejudice was. I can see that too. It's quite disarming that it gives you permission to be really truthful about yourself. That's it. So Jimmy's an exceptional person. I learned a lot about the AA thing and the recovering alcoholic, what it's like for him. Hearing his story is really humbling, just the way that he was able to do that. And I was really privileged to be part of that story with him and then helping him. But he was so open again and so open to be helped to learning stuff, learning the Ignatian things and learning how to reflect and learning how to discern. You can see it there really clearly how he learned to discern for himself stand back, think, what are your options? What could I do? Where's the temptation? You can see that. Where's God leading me? And how can I turn this around? I also remember as well, when we got to Manresa at the end, the joy we had there, we did a full debrief. He took a whole day to reflect on the whole thing at the end. And I gave Jimmy some questions and he went away and and he prayed about it. And then we came back and we talked through the whole thing. So his ability to learn and pick up stuff and to make use of the Ignatian thing, that was amazing. You can also see the Ignatian system there working and how it's flexible, adaptable. It's really simple. It's really just practical. Reflect on this. Have a look at it. What does it mean? What should I decide? I think it helped me to understand the Ignatian thing a bit more from the inside. How it can help a whole range of people. When Brandon talks about that, about me being honest and all that sort of stuff, we talk greatly here about the sermon, and which are very, very important, because people do things without thinking at times. Think, 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 and think again. But this the sermon thing goes a little bit further, so we, we end up handing it over then, and we will get the answer, and we know that. And this has a massive, massive ripple effect on my family, because now most of my family, my wife, my daughter that lives with me, they're asked a question, and somebody says, can you do that? The first thing they say now is, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> And I think that's great. And they got that off me. They can obviously see it as we're living together. I was telling Brandon about that and he was laughing. You know, when Brandon ever asks me a question, I'll just have to think about that, you know. But it does have a massive ripple effect on families as well, what I did. And I brought something home. I did four Camino de Santiago's. I did the walk of St. Ignatius. And I can safely say, if you go to my wife and my family, my daughter that lives with me, you can ask them. Of the four Caminos and this, what he did, Forget about the physical aspect of it because it was like something you pulled out of the washing machine. But if you ask them what effect this Ignatian way had on Jimmy and how did he come home and how did it affect the family life, my wife will swear to you that she never seen a fella coming home from a Camino or whatever like the way I did in regards of the goodness that came out of it and the difference and the change, the whole change in attitude, the whole change in life. It's absolutely fabulous and it still has that effect at home. What words would you put on that change, Jim? I don't know, to tell you the truth, I don't know. What I will tell you is I do pray that it stays. Because in the first place, when we started doing Caminos in 2018, I had four or five years gone to AA, and I had it all, I thought. And I had, you know, I was kind of bulletproof in respect of I wouldn't drink again, and I wouldn't get bad thoughts, and I wouldn't get bad things in life. There was one thing happened to me. I used to go to bed at night, and I used to cry. I used to actually cry in bed. And I used to say to myself, I don't want to lose this. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I'm afraid I'm going to lose this. And there was nothing about drink. It was about the life that I was living. It was probably, if I did change it, it would go back to, it would go back to drinking. So, yeah, there was that effect on it as well. I needed something to ground me. I needed something. I needed steel inside me. And where was I going to get this? 
And it was a very funny story. I picked a fellow up two days later. No coincidence again. He got into my taxi. He had a backpack. He put it in the boot. I said, where are you going to? He said, I'm coming home. I said, where were you? He said, I was on the Camino de Santiago. And how naive of me. I said, is that a cruise ship? And he said, no, it's a walk in Spain, a pilgrimage. I went home and I thought about this. And I said, you know what? This is for me. So there you go. YouTube began straight on. Six months later, I'm walking the Camino de Santiago. And I'll keep walking Caminos. And if you ask me now, would I do the Ignatian Way again? 50 degrees heat, 60 degrees heat, 46 degrees heat. I don't care. I'd go in the morning. So you used a very interesting word there. You said you were grounded and you found the steel within yourself. Yeah. Pretty good for a Camino walk. When I did my first Camino, and especially then meeting the pilgrim on it, telling me about the Ignatian Way. When I came home, the connection up with Brendan and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it couldn't have worked out better. I walked another one the next year, the Primitivo, with my son, which was a great experience to walk with your son. And then I did another Camino Francis with another soldier, ex-Sergeant Major Tony Murray. It was brilliant. He got a lot out of it, I got a lot out of it, and it was lovely. This, just also to say, this wasn't just a walk and a great learning and a pilgrimage, but people have benefited from this because you are sponsoring charities now as a result of this. Yeah, I will say this now at the start. No matter what Camino I ever did, I always financed myself. I never asked anybody for anything. But before I left on my first Camino, a guy was telling the fellow I was going, he said, well, don't you take a small charity on board? I said, listen, I'm doing this for myself. And then I thought, you know, how mean can you be if you're going to walk? You don't have to handle money. It's all through and up. I said, OK, I'm going to do that. So I walked the first one for the Simon community. I walked the second one for Peter McFerry Trust. I walked the third one for the ONE, the Organisation of Ex-Servicemen and Women. Walked the Ignatian Way for Lord Lynn and the 5th Battalion, the ex-unit, the Welfare Trust there. And I just finished the Camino Portuguese in May, which I did again for the ONE. We are offering the whole proceeds of the book. We're giving that to the Peter McFerry Trust because we thought that that just fitted in perfectly to what we're about. People recovering from alcohol, people trying to get back on their feet, people struggling in their lives. That just seemed to be a thing. So Peter McFerry is going to do the book launch for us. So that's a great tie-in. I think and it all fits together really well. And it's not us profiting. I see other people benefit from it. And no better charity than Peter McFerry Trust. The book is published by Messenger Publications. It's small. It's a book that I think... As as well as reading your story, it's done in such a way that I would keep going back to it because the lessons that are drawn out from what both of you experienced, you always draw out at the end of each experience a little lesson rooted in the Ignatian spirituality. Jimmy, you said you've become Ignatianized. We've got a new word. I don't know where that came out of, but I did say it to you, yeah, Ignatianized. Um, <laughs> and I have to wait till I come to this lovely Jesuit surrounded to say it. <laughs> I think they'll be really happy to hear that. Brandy, it's a great word. It's a fantastic word, but it captures perfectly exactly what we're about here. Jimmy took the Ignatian spirituality like a duck to water. It just fitted into everything. He'd done the AA program. Then his learnings of the way he integrated that and used it and managed to steer himself through some very difficult situations. Fair play to Jimmy there. Fair play to both of you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Pat.